Hi everybody, this is Jacob here, and this is episode 5 of the Clown Chat Podcast. This is just going to be a uh, solo episode today. Um, Don't have anyone else coming on, but I think later this week we should have uh, basically the Western Conference version of the, of the exercise we did last week, uh, where we did, you know, the contender or pretender game, um, you know, kind of broke down the teams that way and we should have uh you know a good a good mix of guests on on that podcast i don't know the exact exact who will have exactly who we'll have yet but uh we'll be looking forward to that um that'll be that should be episode six i believe unless something unexpected comes up um but yeah so this is going to be uh episode five just took just a quick episode again we're gonna just I have a couple of things I want to uh, give my take on. Um, you know, one obviously Julian Edelman, uh, you know, announcing his retirement today. Uh, I feel like that deserves uh, attention. And uh, also, uh, just the the state of the Boston Celtics and um, you know, kind of why I I feel like they're being really overlooked right now. Um, and, and so we're going to get into that. First of all, we have a couple of sponsors. Our first sponsor is per36.com. Uh, visit per36.com to get the best basketball analytics information on the internet. The latest thing they've got up on there is uh, is a hustle stat. You can play around with uh, several different metrics on there, uh, depending on what you prioritize. And it will... Uh, tell you who who hustles the most in the NBA, who the grittiest players are. Um, You know, obviously, depending on how you tweak it, you know, more guards might come up, more big men might come up. Um, The litmus test for me as as a Celtics fan is is when I saw that that Marcus Smart was ranked very highly on there. I knew that, you know, what they they did was very legit, and it's, you know, it's definitely worth checking out. So I would highly recommend that. And then also we have uh, Show Off Training is our other sponsor. Um, check off, check out Show Off Training, the podcast. Uh, that's the new podcast they've got over there, that the, the T's got over there. And I'm actually going to be on that tomorrow, I think. So I'm really looking forward to that. Basically, you get the best, uh, you know, the best fitness information out there. T, you know, kind of breaks down, you know, everything to do with fitness and wellness and health and um you know highly recommend checking that out again i should be on there tomorrow so that's going to be you know a a lot of fun and t also has uh, an episode out from sunday um just on uh you know basically just uh you know standards as far as uh you know body types and and that sort of stuff so yeah, highly recommend checking that out. And now we're going to get into uh, what I wanted to discuss today. Um, so we're going to start with Julian Edelman because he deserves that. Um, you know, obviously it was very, you know, it's a sad day to, to hear that he's he's stepping away from the game. And uh, technically what happened is that the Patriots did release him. And the reason why they released him is because uh, under the salary cap, apparently uh, credit to... Uh, Miguel Benzen, who is uh, Pat's cap on Twitter, he is the uh, best salary cap uh, person to follow if you're interested in, in Patriot salary cap information. And so he says that uh, apparently uh, Edelman was, is going to be able to get like a two million injury protection 
uh, things. So apparently 1.2 million is going to go on the cap and 800K is, is going to be uh, a benefit. So yeah, um, that that's why they did. It seemed, you know, pretty unceremonious when it happened. But, you know, when you, when you hear that, you kind of understand why they're they're and they're certainly not going to, you know, go after any of the signing bonus or anything like that. They're they're handling this with the utmost uh, class possible. I anticipate that we're going to get, I haven't seen one yet, but we should get a statement from the Patriots at some point. I, I think this, this one deserves, deserves that. I'm sure there will be remarks from Coach Belichick and, um, yeah, I mean, just, just as far as, as far as Edelman, um, you know, obviously he is going to go down as just one of the most clutch playoff receivers of all time. That, that's going to be his mark on the game. Um, you know, he, he's just, that, that's the first thing, uh, when you think of him, you know, you think of, of plays from, uh, the, obviously the catch against Atlanta has got to be number one. I mean, that was obviously in that comeback, that was just a huge play. Um, you know, after we got screwed in 07 by that, uh, I'm not even going to name the guy's name. He doesn't deserve that. Um, got screwed by that awful catch, you know, to have Edelman, you know, go and, make that incredible catch to help spur that comeback was just amazing. And, you know, obviously in, in 2014, um, you know, obviously the pass against Baltimore is, is I'm always going to remember that. And, uh, you know, that's just a crazy trick play they came up with that really just turned momentum into that game. It tied the score and they never trailed after that. And, you know, that was a really good Ravens team, man. And, and they could have easily lost that game. And, um, they uh they fought and won and you know obviously we know what they did in the Super Bowl and speaking of the Super Bowl I mean Edelman is the one who caught the touchdown to give him the lead you know obviously we remember a lot of other stuff towards the end of that game but Edelman you know did his job on offense made the plays when it counted and is a big reason why they won and then you go to you know 2017 and um his absence just loomed large over everything um if he is out there, maybe they. I know I don't want to blame it on that. That Eagles team was a great team, but you know, I'm sure the Eagles did not mind not having to face Julian Edelman in that game. I'll put it that way. Um, and then 2018, just uh, you know, the last gasp of well, in, in some ways, the last gasp of that iteration of the Patriots dynasty, and just. Uh, you know, in, in, in a receiving core that was really, you know, starting to deteriorate. And you could already see the signs of what was to come as far as our offensive skill positions, um, obviously, eventually becoming the barren wasteland that it was a year ago. This year, this next year, and I'll get to that, but it's going to be a lot better. But last season was really bad. And, um, you know, it was starting to deteriorate into that, but it hadn't quite gotten there yet. And Edelman just just made the plays, and, and you could tell it was just he and Gronk were just giving everything they could. And you know, maybe they weren't at their absolute peak, but they were still just getting it done. And they were making the clutch plays. They didn't score a lot of points in that Super Bowl, but um, you know, they did what they had to do. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be missed, um, you know, unbelievable career. He never made a lot of, you never, never had a huge, you know, receiver contract or anything like that. Um, never, never had the biggest, you know, 
he had a lot of catches, but you know, in a lot of ways, his numbers in the regular season weren't as you know good as some, as some guys. But um, you know, his playoff success is is I mean, he's second to the goat receiver Jerry Rice. I mean, what else can you say? You know, he is, uh, and that's what you play for is, is to make plays in the playoffs. And Edelman did that better than almost anyone. And you know that that's what he's going to be remembered for. And uh, you know. He, he's a lock for the Patriots Hall of Fame, obviously. Man, man they're going to have to start admitting two players a year into the Patriots Hall of Fame because it's going to start getting really crowded soon. But, you know, Edelman is, is yet another guy that's going to have to go in there. And, frankly, he should be considered, you know, he's not going to be a first ballot guy, obviously, but he should be considered for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, too. I mean, when you have that kind of playoff success, when you have that kind of role in, you know, a dynasty, a, a team of a decade... You know, because the Patriots were the team of the decade in both the 2000s and the 2010s. And when you have uh, when you have those kind of playoff numbers and, you know, I, I think that should put you in the Hall of Fame at some point. I don't I don't think that's a crazy take. Um, so we'll see if he if he gets there. And uh, but I feel like he should. So just hats off to him. I hope he uh, I hope he uh, enjoys retirement and um yeah, as far as the team, uh, as far as now, just as far as the impact on the team next year, I don't really think it's going to have much of one. I had already kind of assumed that this was coming or something like it um, because I knew that his knee was having problems and that I had heard that it was not going to be some something where he was going to be able to get through the season um, with, with, with zero problems. Like it was going to be just a lingering issue and... Um, I thought maybe there's a chance he sticks around as a third or fourth guy in a limited role and a mentor and that sort of stuff. Um, maybe there's a chance they cut him and he goes to Tampa for one more run with Brady. That was also in play. Um, but that's not going to happen. And uh, it's just I, I think they had planned on that. You know, obviously in free agency, they, they spent a lot on pass catchers. Um, you know, obviously... What I would say is the offense will run through the tight ends, Jenny Smith, Hunter Henry. Going to be a lot of two tight end sets. Um, really, I think it's mostly going to be two tight end sets, you know, unless they see like a third corner on a team that is just really bad and that they want to pick on or um, or maybe some third and long, stuff like that. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of... Um, don't think there's going to be a lot of... of, of sets on offense that are not two tight ends. And I think the roster construction will, will reflect that. Um, you know, obviously a receiver, you have Kendrick Bourne, who, who, who we signed and Nelson Aguilar, who we signed are probably going to be the top guys. And then you have Jacoby Myers, who's probably, who is definitely the best holdover from last year. And then Nikhil Harry is still on the team. Like I'd say that's given that there's only going to be two receivers on the field a lot of the time. I'd say that's probably, enough now harry could get traded they could draft somebody as well so there's some still some moving parts but i really not too concerned about that honestly um and at tight end i think there's a solid chance they're going to keep four tight ends so that means they probably only need to keep five receivers um obviously they just drafted dalton Keene and devin asiasi a year ago and you know they were kind of slow to develop last year and they made the moves in free agency and now those guys um 
you know, obviously if either of those guys becomes a player, there's just going to be an embarrassment of riches at the tight end spot. So uh, I think they'll probably both stay on the team. Keen might have, might get converted to more of a fullback kind of role. Or, you know, if, if, you know, one of them comes to camp and, and really stinks, then they're not going to be immune to being cut. But um, my gut says that because they're going to run two tight ends so much that they may just make it the basis of their offense and uh, they may keep four of them. Um, one of them would be inactive most most weeks, but I think four tight ends being on this team is a very distinct possibility. Um, so, yeah, that's just kind of my... Uh, my thoughts on Julian Edelman, um, hats off to just an amazing career. Um, you know, another thing about him is, is just his versatility. I mean, you know, like other Patriots before him, he he went and had a role on the other side of the ball. Um, back in 2011, their defense stunk. The Patriots' defense stunk. They made the Super Bowl anyway and lost, but... Um, yeah, the... Uh, you know... The, the defense was not good, but he, you know, chipped in and, and played corner. Um, you know, he played, he played some slot corner, which was, uh, you know, a little interesting. So, um, now, um, we're going to move on to the other topic I wanted to discuss, which is the Boston, the state of the Boston Celtics, um, you know, one thing that, you know, I've noticed lately that, you know, I find a little interesting is just just that I just don't think the Celtics are getting the respect they deserve. I don't think they're getting, you know, I don't think they're, they're getting any notice for the way things have gone. Because I've watched most every game that this team has played this season. And let me tell you, the Boston Celtics are back. This team is back. And you might be sitting there and thinking, oh, whoa, whoa, slow down. That's a bold take. That's a bold take. No, it's not. And I'm going to explain to you exactly why they're back and why they, you know, deserve more attention than they're getting and why they should be treated as a serious threat come playoff time. Um, and, you know, the comparison I'm going to make here is with Miami. And, I, you know, if you listen to the podcast last week, you'll know I put Miami in a higher spot than, than Boston. I can say all this. And Miami and Boston may still lose in the first round, just because um, j- j- just because they're probably going to be in the four or five series, and they're probably going to play Miami, and Miami is a great team, and you know they can be two of the three most threatening teams in the East playoffs, and obviously only one of them is going to win the series. So, you know, it is the seeding is what it is, but you know. Obviously, Miami is a team that has sputtered throughout the season a little bit. You know, had some injuries. You know, had some COVID absences and and stuff like that. And it's kind of taken them a while to get going. And, you know, I think a lot of people are still giving them the, the, you know, the, you know, respect. Like, oh, you know, I know they've kind of scuffled a little bit. But, you know, you heard the podcast, I think three of the four of us, you know, said they were a contender you know i think a lot of people are just uh being deferential to them and you know i think rightfully so by the way i'm not criticizing that at all i think that i think you should be deferential i think they're a very dangerous team in the playoffs 
But, you know, I find it interesting that Boston is just not getting anywhere close to that, you know. You, you know what I mean. They're, they're not getting anything close to that. And it's just very interesting to me because I'm, I'm just going to read off some things here. So... Yeah, I mean, obviously the thing I look at with Boston that, that just says it all right here is, you know, COVID absences. Obviously, it's been a big part of the season, and every team has been affected in some form by this. But, but um, they, they're, they're the league lead. They're the league lead in COVID absences. They have, they have like, you know, obviously th this is a few days ago when I saw this, but they have 20, they have like 20 more COVID absences than the second highest team. I mean, it's just been crazy and they, they just can't, you know, get away from it. And, you know, it, it's funny because it's not just like, you know, protocols all the time. You know, these guys are actually catching COVID. Like Tristan Thompson missed 13 games and had COVID and was symptomatic. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. If he had missed a 14th game and not and not been playing against the Knicks because they already had a couple of guys out that game, including one for COVID in Evan Fournier, who just got to the team, you know, they probably lose that game without without the way Tristan Thompson played because they were just too under they, they would have just been too undermanned. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. You know, Jason Tatum, you know, the best player on the team. The young superstar, who who is just gonna who is just on a track to just do some amazing things in his career, and he's obviously been on a tear these last few games. He just won Player of the Week, uh, you know, very well deserved. But you know, Tatum had COVID earlier this year. Um, he came back shortly before February, and you know, he's been pretty honest about how that's impacted him and how it impacted his play and that it just was not a, it was just not something that uh, he was able to deal with very easily. It was really affecting him and it affected him for, well, and, and you can see just as far as like his shooting percentages and stuff. It's like, um, so December, which was not very many games, Tatum 45% for the field, January 50% for the field. February, 39.7% from the field. March, 48% from the field. And April, 52.6% from the field. He's obviously been on a tear these last few games. So he's been getting better and better. But that one outlier is February, that month after he got back from COVID. So you can't you can't just sit there. Like, there's I'm not saying there's not, nothing that you can do to criticize this team. You know, there are a few things, and I'll get to some of those, but, um, but, but you can't just hold the, the state of, you know, how we played while this guy was just dealing with all this COVID. You can't hold that against how we're going to do in the playoffs. That's asinine. I mean, unless, unless you think he's going to catch COVID again, that then that's fair, but like, come on. I mean, and three point percentage. December, January, February, March, and April, respectively, Tatum, 41%, 41.7% from three, 44.6% from three, then only 316 in February, then it goes back up to 39.8 and 
I mean, like, come on, this is obvious. The, st the stats say it all here. You know, he was obviously very deeply affected by COVID. And now, he now he's fine. Or much closer to fine. Maybe not fine, but much closer to fine. So you have to, you have to realize that that's a significant factor here um you know and then uh you know injuries have been a problem as well um it hasn't even just been covid they've had missed games due to injuries and um you know Romeo Langford is someone who uh you know and Langford is is an interesting one because he didn't play most of the season um he you know, missed a lot of time due to, you know, sir, you know, an injury that I believe he suffered in the conference finals last year. And, um, you know, he, he, he was out rehabbing and then he finally got back. Um, I don't think they expected the season to start so early when they, uh, gave him, you know, when they told him to go get surgery here, you know, it, it was just kind of bad luck. I mean, he probably would have had to get it anyway, but, um, so he misses most, and then he catches, you know, another player that caught COVID, which delayed his return. So it's just a mess there. But, you know, I don't think a lot of a lot of us have kind of written him off this season. But, you know, this is a kid who, you know, looks like a really good defender. And when he came into the league as a 13th overall pick, or no, I think it was, you know, he was 14th. I think Hero was 13th. Yeah, he was 14th. So Langford was 14th overall. You know, he's known, he was obviously a really highly ranked recruit coming out of high school. And he was known as like an offensive player, as, as a slasher, as someone who can, you know, dribble and create a little bit, and get to the basket and, you know, his shots coming along. And let me tell you the things that he's supposed to not be good at or, or, or not be at, he, he wasn't known for as much, which it was his shot and his defense. He looks like he can shoot a little so far. And he's, you know, he's been getting on the floor because of his defense. So just put all that together and just, you think of the offensive potential. This is somebody who's got a lot of potential to help this team. Um, you know, obviously Marcus Smart missing like 20 games due to his, uh, that injury he suffered against the Lakers, you know, on a team. And, and I'll get to the, how the roster construction was at the beginning, beginning of the season. But given how the roster construction was then, I mean, that's, that was fatal. That was a fatal injury. I mean, we were screwed. We were not going to succeed at that point. Um, Jalen Brown uh, has been dealing with knee stuff all year. He's, he's missed some time here and there. Um, and then obviously Kemba with his stuff, not playing back-to-back. Now, I'm, ha I'm not going to make as big a deal out of that just because that might be a permanent thing. And um, I do think Kemba, we do need Kemba to play. It would be nice if he played a little bit better. Um, he's still been inefficient a little bit, but... Um, you know, he's been making plays to help us win, so it is what it is, but, um, and then, yeah, I mean, just as far as, uh, and, and look, I, I'm, I try to keep it real when it comes to this team, like, before the season, I did not think it was going to go very well, I was not happy with the roster construction, I thought, um, I thought, Double bigs, which, you know, our, our, our double big lineup of Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice and, and really prioritizing having like three centers when we had no perimeter depth. I thought that was a terrible idea. Um, and it, it was, did not go well. It, you know, it did not allow us to play defense the way we wanted on the court. There was just no spacing around our top guys. We had no perimeter depth. depth. So like I said, as soon as Smart 
went out, we were screwed. Um, we did not have the depth to overcome that, especially when you when you look at Kemba back. It, it was just a mess. It, it, it was a screwed up mess. And, um, you know, it's really not a surprise given the way that went that we played that poorly. Um, you know, I thought it was going to be a little rough because of that. I did not think we had a great offseason. Turns out we really didn't have a good offseason. Um, obviously, losing Hayward was a big deal, but um, just, just the construction beyond that even was just not good. And it played out even worse than I imagined. But a lot of that, and, and the Fournier trade what, at the deadline was one that, you know, I, I questioned as far as, uh, you know, whether it was a good move for the future, uh, as far as, you know, we have to keep him, right? And we have to keep him within our budget. But there's no disputing that the moves at the deadline, you know, Daniel Tice, I love him. He was a great Celtic while he was here, but it was getting rid of double bigs was addition and promoting Robert Williams was addition by subtraction. It really was. And getting Fournier, another perimeter player who could score off the bench and create and and move the ball and do all sorts of things. It just balanced the roster so much better. And so, you know, you, you make moves like that and, and it just sets things up to change. And that's, and, and I'll get to that, this and that's really what's happened. Um, you know, obviously, and, and, and then Robert Williams coming in and starting, you know, he's been the young guy who's really popped this year. You know, just a really good lob threat, you know, shot blocker. And, and the thing that is uh, a little surprising about him that, you know, doesn't get talked up enough. Zach Lowe had it in his column recently. But um, the thing that I love about him is, is his passing. He's a really good passer for a big man. He had, I think, against Houston uh, a week or two ago, he had like eight assists. I mean, he, he is somebody who moves the ball and we can run some of the stuff we used to run without Horford with him. And it's just something that really helps our offense because, uh, you know, in our lowest points, we can get a little ISO heavy and, and having him out really having him out there with our starters really helps guard against that. Um, so he, he's made a huge impact. He He's, you know, he's been an upgrade for us in the middle and he's just going to keep getting better. And, um, you know, just really excited about him going forward, um, he's just making a big impact. I know he got destroyed by Embiid, but everybody gets destroyed by Embiid. I mean, Embiid is just insane. Nobody is guarding that guy. No one. I mean, even even Gobert. I mean, like I don't think anyone's guarding Embiid this year. It's just not happening. Um, and then yeah, just uh, as far as and, and, and it's like just just to bear all this out, right? Let's go through the games that the Celtics have played in since the deadline. So for first date, right after the day after the deadline, they beat Milwaukee um, without Fournier. Fournier didn't play. Um, so that's that's a pretty damn good win to beat Milwaukee, isn't it? Um, beat OKC on a back-to-back, you know. It's kind of whatever. Um, it's still a, a solid one on the road, but, you know. No, without Kemba, um, you know they win it. They win it back to back, which you know not a great opponent, but we hadn't. We'd struggled in that situation this year, so more more progress. Then they lose to to the Pelicans, but let me tell you about that game. 
Um, yeah, they didn't play great, but guess who didn't play? Jalen Brown, the second best player on the team. So I, I think that had a lot to do with that. <laughs> um, I mean, then you have the Mavs game after that. They, they lose that too, but that's a little less defensible. But again, you have Luka um, on, the other, on the other side. Um, you don't have either center that's left. So you're starting, uh, you're playing Wagner and Cornet. I mean, so neither Tristan Thompson or Robert Williams played in that game. So that's a little tough. And then they just really kind of got on a roll. Um, they beat Houston, you know, by, by a lot. They beat the Hornets by 30. Um, obviously they've got their own injuries, so that's not the greatest win. But I mean, beating anyone by 30 is impressive. Um, then they lose to Philly, but you know, Philly is Philly is Philly. Philly is the favorites in, in the East. Maybe the favorites to win the whole thing. Um, I mean, Embiid is just unstoppable this year. Um, he he destroyed Robert Williams, but nobody was guarding Embiid. I mean, uh, it just is what it is. And again, we didn't have Fournier in the game because Fournier, somewhere in that stretch, I don't have the exact game here, but Fournier caught, you know. He, he he started to, to really make an impact off our bench, and then, lo and behold, he catches COVID. Just like everybody else on the team, he caught COVID and is still out, and we don't know when he's coming back. He's not traveling with the team on this road trip, so who knows when he's coming back. Um, so that's just great. So, you know, I don't think we win that game with, with Fournier in, but who knows? It would have helped. Um and then, and then you have three straight wins. You have a Knicks game on a back-to-back. That's a good win. Tristan Thompson came back for that one. Um, we had no Kemba, no Fournier. Uh, you know, against a playoff team, probable playoff team, that's that's solid. And then you have, uh, obviously, Tatum's 53 against Minnesota. And then you have, uh, and then you have Denver, um, which is the best win of the season, I'd say. Um, you know, I think very highly of the Nuggets. It's a road game, start of a West Coast trip. Um, yeah, they just played great. Um, that it was. I know they didn't have Jamal Murray, but that's a great win. Um, it really is. So just looking through that, it's like the only times they've lost since the deadline. You can really just look at who didn't play, and that can tell you a good part of the story. So, so that's just my greater point here, and you know. Even you know, even though they obviously haven't won every game since the deadline, um, again, you you look at what happened, you look at the games they lost, and you can explain to Moeda, who was out, you know, in a lot of cases. The only thing was, the only team I, I you know, obviously, the Mavs one was probably the least defensible, but again, no time, no time lord is a big deal. The Pelicans game, no Jalen. I mean. What are you going to do? Jalen is an amazing player, and um, you know, being without him is a big deal. And you know, I, you know, Philly's better than us. I, I'm not expecting us to be Philly, even at full strength. Philly is just going to be better than us, probably. So, um, you know, we we just the play has hit since the deadline has really backed up everything I'm saying here, and um, and then you look at the fact that that the you know, a lot of times the foundation of being a contender is to be top 10 in both offense and defense. Yes, defense. That is an area that the Celtics um, struggled 
a lot this season, uh, a lot more than expected, and and there's some reasons for that. Um, just the, the double big lineup was not a great fit, and then also, um, the Celtics have been great great at defending the three ball percentage wise for years now. Even when they're bad, they did a great job at it. Um, they are only 18th this year, and I think a lot of it is just the lack of practice time with COVID. Working with a lot of these young guys, trying to get them to do it was, you know, defend how we want them to defend. It was really challenging and um, to figure out. And again, that's just one of the problems with the season. But um, since the trade deadline, sixth defense, sixth ranked defense, ninth ranked offense. That's that's just proof right there that, that it's really starting to come together. Um, and then the thing that gets me is just. You know, the past history. You know. We we have a... The Celtics have a history of playoffs... You know, winning playoff series. Not getting to the finals or anything. But winning playoff series. And they've also uh, got a history of overachieving in the playoffs. You know, there's been a lot of years where they, the Celtics have really maxed out where they should have gotten to. Now, there's definitely some... Uh, you know, some missed opportunities. Last year was a missed opportunity. Um, not even going to talk about 2019 because that was ruined by a specific player. Um, 2018, they drastically overachieved. 2017, they maxed out every little bit of that team they could have. Um, even getting to the playoffs in 2015 was a heck of an accomplishment. So they've really done a, they, they've really done a lot there. And, um, you know, I don't think they're, you know, given how this team looks right now and given who's on the roster, I don't know that there's any reason to, to doubt that they could again, potentially. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I just think that the Celtics are really being overlooked right now. And, um, you know, and I appreciate it, by the way. That's fine. Overlook us, please. The Celtics do better as underdogs. So... You know, people won't have to talk about us when when they bring up the best teams. That's fine. That's fine. We're here. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be healthy soon. All we need is Fournier back, and, and we're healthy. Um, obviously, Kemba misses back-to-backs, but um, if things keep going the way they're going and no one else gets hurt or catches COVID or anything, when the playoffs come around, we are going to have our whole rotation, and a lot of the guys... Um, you know, a lot of the players who have been, you know, there have been issues this season are either not going to be playing or they're going to be in a role that's a better fit for them. Um, you know, Grant Williams is someone, for example, who was kind of put in a not great position earlier this year when um, they had all, we had all these big men, but now he's in a role in a, in a role that fits him a lot better when he plays, and sometimes he's not going to. And um, Semi Ojale. Uh, you know, is it going to play all the time? And, you know, they're really going to have guys like Pritchard is someone they can count on off the bench, and, and they've empowered him a lot more by dumping Jeff Teague, who was really bad for us. Um, glad he's gone. Uh, you know, Fournier is going to be a big minutes guy off the bench. You've got, you know, the Thompson and uh, Robert Williams uh, thing seems to be really coming together in the middle, and they've got Cornette if they need a spacer out there, and uh, you know, the rotation is really just... And obviously you have... The, the kicker is you have a lineup. So, so let me look at this, right? The lineup of Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, 
Marcus Smart, and uh, Daniel Tice got Boston to the conference finals last year. Guess what? Four of those five players still play for the Boston Celtics, and they're getting better center play. That's the thing. That's the thing that, that you have to look at. And, um, you know, this team's a threat. And that and that's all I'm going to say. I think we're probably going to uh, wrap it here. But um, appreciate you for listening. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens uh, in the next little bit with the Celtics. We'll see when Fournier gets back. We'll see what happens with the rest of, the, rest of this West Coast trip. They've got Portland tomorrow. And they've got the Lakers on Thursday. And they've got... They're coming back home for Golden State on, I think, Saturday. So that should be interesting. But um, so we'll see what happens with that. Thank you for listening. Have a great night. And we'll, uh, we'll get back to you later this week.